Bond and Friends coming to you from mi6hq.com and mi6 Confidential magazine. James Bond is on assignment this week, so they put me, Paul Atkinson, in charge, and I'm joined by James Page, Bill Koenig, and Joseph Darlington. Could you introduce yourselves, please, chaps? I am James Page, uh, partner of Crime Paul, mi6hq.com, and uh, looking forward to 2020. I'm Bill Koenig. I run a uh, blog called Spike Man, and Happy New Year's, everyone. Despite multiple technical glitches, I am still Joseph Darlington from Being James Bond, and uh, Happy New Year, fellas. We can rebuild you. <laughs> All right, yeah, no, it's, it's nice to be back on the podcast in, in 2020 and looking forward to, uh, obviously, the, the landmark of 2020, but also some small things as well. We thought we would talk this week about our anticipations, our, our predictions for how 2020 and Bond will go, but also some of the things we're actually particularly looking forward to. I don't know how you like to go and do this, but if anyone's got any burning needs to get over their chest, anything that they're really excited about for 2020 and Bond, and then we'll talk about some of the, the question marks that hang over the year after perhaps No Time to Die comes out. Please feel free to jump in now. I can't believe I can actually now say there will be a James Bond movie this year. Uh- with the various delays that that's the sound of me knocking on wood bill yeah (laughs) (laughs) well it's i think at this point it's going to be put this way if they delay it at this point it's going to be a lot of explaining to do so that's uh that's that's the main thing i think in terms of more far-reaching things i think will occur after no time to die and we can get into that later yes yes i was just thinking the other day it was like back in 2005 when Craig came down the Thames on the dirigible. If he'd have said, in 2020, we'll be having a James Bond film with Daniel Craig, I'd be like, oh, fuck, that's great. He must have done like eight or nine movies by now. <laughs> Still looking um, better than Roger. <laughs> Still looking better than Roger. It's like, wow, that's amazing. It's kind of mixed feelings about 2020, No Time to Die. It's kind of like, if the film lives up to expectations and it is what it, and it is as good as everybody who's making it says it is, fantastic but there'll always be i think that little pang of craig's era has been a bit of a missed opportunity mm. in terms of output well and also i can't help just, just in the past few days i keep thinking you know if they had met that first november date we'd have already seen it by now and then, then the second <laughs> right. date, if if they had made that february 14th date oh we'd be really amped up <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'd be on the third trailer by now yeah but it's on the horizon it's it's and I don't, I don't think it's a mirage. It's, I think it's really there. So what do you think is in store for the marketing and what are the key announcements or dates? Obviously, a composer potentially in a title song. Uh, but what are, you, what are you looking forward to between now and April? I'm looking forward to the composer thing just because, to me, it's a big jigsaw puzzle. You know, they first, the Dan Romer thing came up, was a website, one of the entertainment websites said he had the job. And then he retweeted that story, and I'm real excited. And then I have to admit, I, I had to correct a recent post. They did put him in one of the official press releases. You had to scroll way down to find him. But, yes, he was in a press release. And then all of a sudden there was a rumor that he wasn't going to be, and that's never been officially acknowledged as we record this. But there are certainly signs that he isn't doing it because, well, in fact, you guys at MI6 had a story noting that he is signed on for some other project and the outlet that described, <laughs> described him didn't mention No Time to Die as part of his, uh, of his record. But then the other thing is they're talking about this thing where, well, he might be someone affiliated with Hans Zimmer, like... One, you know, he has about, he runs a company that has 
by my count, 63 uh, uh, composers affiliated with it. And it might be one of them. Uh, or maybe it's like the credit somehow gets split between one of those composers and Hans Zimmer, which happened on uh, Blade Runner 2049. I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm intrigued. I have to admit, I'm more intrigued than I am excited. It's just, I, I, to be honest, I kind of wish they'd just get on with it and just you know, let us know. But uh, If it had been six to eight weeks from the premiere and you said parachute the spirit of John Barry to do it, we'd have been comfortable because he's done it before. Right. <laughs> somebody else, uh, well, that's, ooh, what a gig to take on. I, know? I got out my copy of The Music of James Bond by John Burlingame and I was going over some chapters. John Barry, of course, did a number of tight deadlines, but apparently the man with the golden gun was the tightest where I guess he did the score in something like three weeks with another five days in the recording. Yeah, the he st recording. still had time to find a slide whistle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, can you imagine being a composer and being offered the gig? Great news, you're going to make a James Bond score, which will you know live on forever, but you got six weeks. Some people, I guess, respond well to time pressure and deadlines. Well, I, I tell you, back in the day, um, you know, everyone, John Williams is a god, but, you know, you know how John Williams broke into scoring. He was a musician. He, in fact, on the original recording of the Peter Gunn theme, he was one of the musicians doing the, you know, playing whatever instrument he was. And then in 1958, he got his first scoring job on TV. And in those days, you know, Sprinch, you had like score an hour TV show in three or four days, maybe if that. Um, so guys like uh, Goldsmith and John Williams, they uh, they first started scoring TV shows with severe deadlines. So granted, a movie is you know more comp you know more complicated, more involved. Some of the great composers you know really had to you know they they cut their teeth you know doing extreme deadline work. So Bill, you'll remember better than me, but didn't Michael Giacchino? I don't know how you pronounce his name. I don't know. I know who you're talking about. I don't know how he pronounces. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Good news. We're we're well we're, we're yeah. culturally sensitive here. Yeah. Didn't he swoop into one of the Star Wars spin-offs with like six weeks to go? Ooh. Would it have Rogue been one. Yeah, it could have been because they were do they were like doing like reshoots and stuff almost right up to release. So uh because like another director took over for like the reshoots and was uncredited, but uh Right. That, uh, yeah, he very he might have. He's you know, he's He's not a rookie. He's in his early fifties, I believe. But uh, yeah, he's he's got some experience as and I well. I think ever since the incredible score, I've been batting for him to to do a Bond film. <laughs> yes, and he's done a he's done a couple of the Marvel movies too. And uh, yeah, and there those scores have been pretty good as well. But I mean, yeah, the 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 Incredibles and the sequel kind of put him on the radar screen of a lot of Bond fans. Joe, do you have any thoughts about the composer before we move on? You know, uh, Scott and I were just talking yesterday and. Uh, he he was throwing out a couple names of people he would like to see, and it really made me realize that I'm kind of out of touch when it comes with the newer composers. You know, I, I, I can name a few heavy hitters, but honestly, there's not a lot that I can really point at and say, that's the one. I assume it's you know, pronounced as a bar. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not really sure. I, I kind of feel like I'm still the the last holdout saying, I wish they would bring in David Arnold, but I think that ship is sailed. So. <laughs> yeah. Watching it in the cinema like you and me.
Right, I guess the other obvious thing we can expect to see is another trailer. When do you think that will drop, and and what will be your expectations and hopes for for how they'll use that? I'd expect to see something at the Super Bowl as well. Mm. Mm. Probably only be like a 30-second thing, right? Yeah, I mean, that's still a million dollars, right? Uh, more than a million. It's, more than a million. I, it, yeah. I think it's like five million. It's something insane. Um, the, the good thing in terms of the spend on that is that they don't have to spend any money making the commercial, really. Right. Whereas all the other guys that buy those slots spend just as much creating the mini movie than they do mm-hmm. the, the ad spend. I mean, I remember a few years ago, Brosnan did one for a car company, didn't he? And it cost them just as much to make it as it did to spend the $5 million on the slot. And Heineken are sitting on their advert, aren't they? That's yes. true. And with the Super Bowl, uh, movies are, are a prime customer in terms of the ad buys. I mean, I remember, sorry to bring in another Marvel example, but the very first Marvel Studios movie, Iron Man, I remember it had a commercial on the on the. 2008 Super Bowl. That was like the first chance. I really had a chance to see what it was going to look like. Mo- movies, a lot of movies, and they're often like going into well into the summer, uh, show up as commercials on the Super Bowl. It's the for, for our, our listeners outside the US, that's the first weekend in February, first Sunday in February. And it's usually, you know, between the movies, it's beer, pizza, and GoDaddy, right? That's <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> Uh, but we're obviously going to get um, the title song and artist drop probably around late. F- it's gone later and later and later, hasn't it? So maybe that'll be after the Super Bowl. Maybe that'll be late February or something. I re- you know, I really hope that the they don't give too much more in this new trailer because I really felt pretty strong. And I think a lot of people did that. I, I hope we've we saw a, a lot and we saw enough to whet our appetites. And that's kind of all we need. If I had to take a guess, I would say the. The thing that they will probably highlight in the next trailer, which we didn't see a lot of in the first one, would be Remy Malik's character. Yeah, and his so, scheme. Right, yes. They'll give us a little more insight to him. Uh, and I'm going to take a wild guess and say probably because a lot of his shots were filmed last. So maybe that's why we didn't see much of him in the first trailer. Uh, so, yeah, maybe a little more of him just to kind of, again, whet our appetites. But uh, So I hope it's not a whole lot, though. I, I could I could see them including maybe Ana de Armas with some actual dialogue. Um, right, she's become a hot property, and of yeah. course in that first trailer, you know, we saw her shooting guns and kicking a guy, and that's you know no dialogue. So, mm. and, and and it doesn't have to be a lot, but just maybe a line or two, just to <laughs> just to yeah. play off her increasing fame. I think that's probably very true. You know, I finally just caught Knives Out in the last week. And I was very pleasantly surprised with it. And I didn't realize that she was essentially the main character in that yeah, film right. because the, the, the commercials really focused on everybody else, this big ensemble. Well, I mean, when, when they put the movie together, she wasn't a big name, right? Right, right. It was Chris Evans and Daniel Craig and Jamie Lee yeah, Curtis. And, sure. You know. Yeah. So I think after seeing her and I think now that the year is closing and I see Knives Out popping up on a lot of like top 10 lists for the year. I, I agree with you. I think uh, now suddenly more people will sort of recognize her and they, maybe they will prop her up a little bit more. Right. The trick will be like to not put too much that it's, you know, that it goes beyond just wetting your appetite. Um, right. Because otherwise it's going to be like everyone's going to get excited to go see her in the film. And she's in it for five minutes. Right. <laughs> right. Everyone's going to come out disappointed. Yeah, I'm with I'm with you guys. I, I don't think they need to reveal too much more. And it will be really great to have a Bond movie come out where the general public doesn't know the plot. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you go back 
I was looking at some of the trailers for like the Roger movies the other day. Man, I mean, they just they just give it all to you on a plate. <laughs> exactly <laughs> what's going to happen. You know, there is yeah. no mystery. And yeah. considering Eon's been all about like doing the twist at the end about some kind of reveal in every film lately, which, you know, hasn't worked. It'd be nice if they just didn't spell it out. Well, and, so. and even into the Brosnan era, uh, like Goldeneye, he's 006, the guy, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's like, well, there goes that twist. Yeah, and they revealed Trevelyan in the trailer, didn't they? Which yeah. Was just, yeah. So we've got some, some big things coming up in the next couple of months. I don't think there's going to be much else, is there? There's some new comic books and stuff coming out between now and April, but it's just all going to be about No Time to Die, isn't it, every day? I'm really sort of shocked, and I was just talking to Bill before we got rolling, and I was saying that like, I, I feel like as soon as New Year's came and went, I felt like I turned a corner, and suddenly I feel like it's here. Like all the all the planning and stuff to go around, you know, the travel that's going to occur between right. March and April. Suddenly, I'm like, wow, this is like literally just a couple weeks away. Right, we have a straight line to it now, don't we? With like, yeah, yeah, no Christmas, no New Year, and no, in, in the way. <laughs> <laughs> really, right like all everything else just now felt all the dust settled everything fell to the wayside and i feel like like you said like now i'm looking at nothing more than the premiere and if you write a magazine that doesn't feel like a long time <laughs> sure doesn't. Right. no and, and and just and given my experience covering business i think of it as like it's it'll be at the end of this quarter at least in terms of the royal premiere it's, yes i mean i as far as i know there's not a specific confirmed day but it's got to be the very you know the end of march i mean i know yep. the the general public you know, release dates are in very early April, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, so like, yeah. So to say it's going to be this quarter, if you're used to thinking business yeah. terms, that's not, that's not far at all. Yeah. And you make a good point about the release dates, but I hadn't thought too much about this. Um, so I wonder how you felt about it. Um, everybody on here and this probably ever done the podcast is going to be in in London the week of the film coming out in Europe. But it doesn't launch in the States till the week after. Yeah. And I wonder how that's going to go down, that spoilers, coverage, reviews. I mean, it's usually the case anyway that the U.S. opens the week after anyway. But yeah. um, Sometimes two weeks, at least. Yeah. Like Skyfall, I think it was two weeks. Um, yeah, but, yeah. you know, the, the big tent poles have done the day and date releases, right? Um, right. in recent years, but Bond has stuck to the whole staggered release because they want to get the cast and crew out to do the TV shows. I'm sure we're going to have another like breakfast show uh, debacle again sometime around the 10th of April. And they want to get people in the, in the media and they're focused in the States. But I, I, I can't imagine being a fan base in the States that, you know, that's got to sit around for a week. Yeah. Uh, God, that's it's be been torture. brutal. <laughs> I'll, I'll t- I can tell you the last two films, uh, Skyfall in particular, I felt like, it took forever. I mean, I, I would sit here talking to friends of mine who went to the premiere, who saw the film for like a solid, like you said, I think it was like two weeks dancing around the film without talking about it uh, and trying desperately to avoid spoilers. And of course, that's going to be worse than ever now. I mean, I mean, you know, I, I th- there are times when something like the, the, the finale of a TV series just dropped. Now, YouTube is just covered with thumbnails from the the show and um, now oh, I got to turn that off until I can, till I can watch it. So this th- spoilers in general has gotten terrible. So yeah, these gaps between the release dates, boy, this one's going to be rough. Well, and, and something I've done the last two movies is I'll go through uh, Rotten Tomatoes and I'll do like 
excerpts from reviews and I'm very careful not to put in spoilers, but that means I see them and kind of like, you know, and, and there's going to be this whole wave of reviews just from the, you know, from the British release, you know, I mean, there's, I mean, there's dozens just from that. And then you have the North American wave of reviews, which are like days and days ahead of the actual release date. So yeah, it's, it's, it's after a while, it's like, it's only a few days. It's like, that's like an eternity now. How seriously are you going to try and avoid those spoilers? I mean, if you weren't coming to London in, in late March, early April, what would you what would you do to avoid the spoilers? Or do you think that your uh, work as a journalist in, the, in this particular sphere would um, require you to dip in and find those reviews and, you know, do the public service? Or would you just well, be a full media blackout? I- I do the public service. Um, I mean, I, I said this on a previous podcast. Twice I've had a chance to read the script before the movie came out. And both times I took it just because my own curiosity just, I, I just, to me, it was like reading a book. You know, it's like reading a book that a movie's based on. Mm-hmm. Um, except here, of course, it's a lot closer. But I mean, even even a script late in the process can have significant changes from the final film. Oh yeah. And you visualize Uh, it a lot differently to to how it comes out. Right. Right. Yeah. And did it spoil your enjoyment of the film having read those scripts? No, actually for, for me it didn't, but I know that I, but I know there are people who are like extremely sensitive and in the case of the Spectre script, given the circumstances of which that script was circulating, mm. I decided it was not a good idea to advertise the fact I had it. And in fact, it was like a case, like I wasn't even seeking it out. Someone says, you want this? Well, here. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, so once I had it, I read it. I didn't write anything about it till well after the movie. I did a, a fairly detailed article about the script and how it was different from the final film and so forth. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely wanted to let the fervor cool off because again, with the Sony hacks and all that, and that was like exhibit a in the Sony hacks, you know what someone once actually criticized me. I did a story that re- mentioned layer cake and I mentioned how Ben Wishaw, it, <laughs> it would have been around the time Ben Wishaw, they finally acknowledged him. <laughs> being cast after all that ridiculous secrecy and then i wrote a story saying you know he kills craig's character at the end of layer cake and then someone said you should have put a spoiler now at that point it had been eight years (laughs) between the two it's like but you know the funny thing about that spoiler is bill that even if he knew that and he hadn't seen the film and you watch the film you go through the whole film wondering when he's going to kill him And then it's like, ah, surprise, it's right at the end. I don't think it would have spoiled the film for somebody to find that out. No. I actually completely forgot that was Ben Wishoff now that you (laughs) mentioned it. Because I I saw that film way back before I saw Casino Royale. I haven't seen it in years. I never went back in my memory and said, oh, wait a minute, that's Ben Wishoff. Totally watch it again, Joe. It's. Well, I guess I'll have now, to now that, now that Craig's been Bond, you go back and watch that. You can see what Barbara Broccoli was like. <laughs> okay, this is my guy. But there are some people who who just get. I actually saw a person who just was. was he was the most spoiler Adverse. extremist. <laughs> was basically arguing that you should never say anything about any movie because you might spoil it for some as yet unborn teenager. <laughs> from enjoying the movie however many years in the future and it's like if they're, if they're an as yet unborn teenager they're, they're not going to be interested in the film you're talking about 
it's, it's just like, you know, it's like, come, I, I once did a post about the whole spoiler issue and I, I grabbed an image of uh, the sled from uh, Citizen K. <laughs> It said Rosebud, and you know that's that's it, it was a. I first saw this as a joke in an Iron Man comic book where this is when Tony Stark was first becoming an alcoholic, and he's kind of a little tipsy at a bar. And what do you say, friend? And this guy who's like really drunk at the bar says, "Rosebud is a sled," and and like I, I always hold on to that when people get a little too extreme about spoilers. I honestly don't know. You know, you know, you see those memes that's like, would you go and live in a shack in Montana with no internet for four weeks for a million dollars? Well, yes, that's what they're going to have to do. Right. Because it's not going to be, they mm. can't tune out their Facebook groups and stuff. It's going to be, I mean, even the USA Today had a picture today in their films to look forward to article. So there's no way of avoiding it between April 2nd and 10th. I, I, I just can't see how you do it in the States. It's going to be everywhere. We could have like a holiday camp for Bond fans where everyone goes to Utah. <laughs> That's right. Like a sensory deprivation week. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and the thing is, um, like I put spoiler warnings on posts and stuff. And but when I go to check like what posts, what the traffic was for different posts, the ones with spoilers, they they always spike up. Oh, right. So, mm. so there I don't want to say people are hypocritical. There's a lot of hypocrites out there, Bill, is what you say. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's you know, it's also funny is that I think our definition of spoiler has really evolved and changed over the last few years. I feel like way back when a spoiler was specifically like the twist of the movie. Like if if it had a very specific twist ending, that was the thing you didn't spoil. But everything else was more or less fair game. And now I sort of feel like any plot points in any film is if we're, if you're going to talk about the content of the film, well, that's a spoiler. Yeah, I mean, the Craig era hasn't exactly been like the mousetrap, but, uh, you know, right. I get your point. But then conversely, though, the amount, of in, the amount of stuff that the film franchises have been willing to put out has also changed. So they try mm. and hide some stuff, like who's playing who as a character, but you'll see 200 stills from the film. Going back to those Roger Moore trailers, it's like, he is the villain. He's going to do this. I mean, that's, you know, it's like, <laughs> right, oh, right. I guess that's the plot. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, Bill, I actually had sort of like a total opposite experience with with regard to how much of the spoiler you're willing to sort of indulge in. You, you know, for the, I, and I sort of feel like this is sort of a phenomenon that really only goes back as far as maybe Skyfall. Yeah, because I feel like the Internet and social media was not what it was when Casino came out or even Quantum. I really walked into both of those films totally blind. And really didn't have to worry about spoilers as much. But once Skyfall, definitely Spectre. I mean, Spectre was full-blown. Like, yeah, like you said, want to read the script? Uh, maybe yes, maybe no. So, yeah, it, it is, a, it is a, a real chore now to avoid the spoilers. But with that said, you know, I, I probably up until Spectre told myself, I don't want any spoilers. I want to go in as fresh as I can. And then once I saw Spectre, I walked out so deflated and, frankly, fatigued somehow i kind of said to myself you know what now i don't care i really don't care about spoilers i'll i'll read anything you know beforehand but i think now that it's actually here i'm kind of changing my tune a little bit if it's if it's a really good film it doesn't matter if you know what happens before going in you know why because the second mm. time you watch it it's still a really good film and you know exactly what's going to happen yeah. you know yeah and 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 with me it's like if it's there i might investigate it like for example with skyfall that uh 
Dame Judy's M was going to die. Spoilers. Uh, so I, spoil. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw that. And so, okay, how do I address this? And it's like, because no matter how many spoiler warnings you put at the top, someone's still going to get pissed off. So what I did was I linked to the article that gave it away. I said, it's a big spoiler, but I'm not going to take responsibility. So if you want to read it, you got to click here. And so then some, a friend of mine, they like emails me. So what's a spoiler? I said, I'm not telling you. That's why I wrote it. <laughs> Take some responsibility. Yeah. And so then he clicked on it later. He says, oh, okay. <laughs> he wasn't upset. Like, so, okay. So did I go overboard? You know, just, uh, you know, it's... It's a slippery slope because everyone has an opinion about what a spoiler is and it differs slightly and every opinion is valid. So at any point, all plot points become spoilers. My position is is that spoilers have uh, – they have a warranty uh, or um, – Expiry? It, it, yeah, there's an expiration date. And so I said the fo- – one time I did a Facebook post. I said the following are not spoilers. Rosebud is a sled. Uh, Rhett Butler doesn't give a damn. Uh, and then someone says, those are spoilers. I said, no, they're not. Those movies have been out for decades. Spoilers expire. Like those are good films and they stood the test of time. And that's not they haven't stood the test of time because they have a good twist at the end. <laughs> right. But, the- but, but a movie in 1939 or 1941, like, sorry, no. Yeah. Like, the reason why we're talking I'm about not- them at all is not because of the, the twist at the end, you know. So I look at 2020 as like before No Time to Die and after No Time to Die. Mm. And I don't think many people have thought what happens in what happens in May, there's going to be a huge vacuum in the back half of 2020. Michael Wilson will be having a holiday. That's right. Um, as we all should, really. And I was going to bring, I was going to bring this up because I, I was going to be very generous and say the day after the film comes out, but then I realized that's a load of shit. It's going to be like the week before because that's when they do the publicity interviews. The media is going to be who's going to be the next James Bond for the rest of 2020 after the film comes mm. out. Literally before the film comes out, I think that's going to be the media coverage. It's going to be, well, you know, who's, who's the candidate for taking over? Well, that'll be the media coverage, but I think there very well could be significant news post No Time to Die. The question is, what form does it take? Um, Sale merger bill? Were, well, you know, I think at the very least, there's going to be some kind of change in the status quo. Now, it might be something as relatively simple as maybe Michael G. Wilson finally retires, but, you know, still stays in the Wilson-Broccoli family. But, you know, maybe he just, you know, decides to lessen his workload formally. Maybe on a more extreme stage, maybe someone does buy MGM. There was a report in the Wall Street Journal several weeks ago that Apple was sniffing around not only MGM, but also sniffing around the Pac-12 athletic conference, you know, to get some college sports for its streaming TV show. I don't know what the change in status quo is, but I just, I think right now the status quo is kind of delicate and I think it's just bound to change in some fairly significant way, but it, there's probably like a half dozen different ways it could. Uh, to quote M's line in, in Inspector, the fate of glass is to break. This yeah. is not going to last forever. 
do you think that if they pull off the United Art, like bringing back the United Artists brand with this um, Annapurna MGM kind of partnership, do you think that that's just a sticking plaster on an <laughs> open wound, or do you think that there's some some hope for that? I I think that I think you know what I think probably MGM at the tries to buy Annapurna out of United Artists releasing, yeah. And apparently, you know, United Artists releasing apparently is going to just be on the poster. Won't it be actually at the top of the film? It wasn't in the trailer. That's right. Um, it might be at the so, top of the film in the States instead of Universal. I mean, they'll just switch those logos out. Well, I've noticed, though, where films have like, you know, dual releasing, you know, this this company, U.S., this company, International, they still release them both. Um that's not guaranteed for this movie, of course, but I believe uh, Blade Runner 2049 had one of these split distribution right. deals. Warner Brothers in whichever territory and somebody else in the other territory. And you had multiple logos. You had multiple studio logos regardless. So I, uh, you know, I, this is, this is strictly my guess. I think we'll have an MGM logo and we'll have a Universal logo at the front of the film. I don't think we'll have United Arts releasing. You're a major debt holder of MGM or shareholder, whichever way you want to call it. It's the whole pump and dump. I think it's what better time to sell your company than after cashing in a billion-dollar movie because the price goes up. All these talks about you know Apple investigating purchasing MGM and stuff, it's great. There's no way MGM's going to sell till after Bond comes out. It's just not going to happen. Right. So as soon as the dust is settled and the box office is closed, that's when I think the action starts. And um, Right, that increases the price. It does increase the price. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think the way of looking at the back half of 2020 is the media is going to be, well, who's going to be the next James Bond? Smokescreen doesn't matter. The people aren't even going to be the decision makers probably on that. The real story is mm. going to be who owns the stuff and who's in control of it. And that is not going to get covered by the media except for you know the investment angle of it until something happens right it, it, it'll be by the likes of the wall street journal or the ft or maybe the new york times although they're a little uneven on this stuff um the funny thing about the who's going to be the next james bond is that you know people find out you're interested in james bond and they immediately say well what about this person that i read in the newspaper and i usually just say to them it'll be probably nobody you've ever heard of as soon as the media mention a name that person's not getting cast well and and what happens is these people get asked and they don't want to say no <laughs> it's like so they'll say well we'll see or that'd be great you know who the but best the not- best person of all time at that was clive owen yeah, yeah, yeah. He milked yeah. that. He milked that for a long time, didn't he? <laughs> for like yeah. three years. <laughs> well, and and like Henry Cavill, after having been kind of off the radar for a while, you know, he's got this streaming series, The Witcher. So it's so he's publicizing that. So up comes the question, and I and I saw it, you know I saw this online, and someone asked him, and he uh, I, I either said we'll see or whatever. It was, you know, it was like hardly a definitive. Well, to, to be, thing. to be fair to him, if you've, if you're one of the final candidates, like number two choice, you've got a good chance of it next go around. I mean, it's happened. Right. Repeatedly. Oh, I, and I don't blame, and I don't blame Cavill at all. I mean, he, he, he was what, what, what I find amusing is there are like some fans like him. There are some fans despise him and they get, they get pissed off. He's lobbying for the job. I said, he's not lobbying. He's like trying to be as little as possible. Yeah. 
sorry to derail that with the, the business talk with the inconsequential stuff about who's going to be the next James Bond actor <laughs> to get us back a little bit on tro- topic in terms of uh, a potential you know future of the franchise globally what do you think is going to be the best outcome for James Bond fans how this you know how the MGM situation gets handled best outcome is and again it depends on what's being bought is MGM being bought is Dan Jack slash Eon being bought is someone buying it all in one big package trying just to <laughs> simplify things so it, it, it would really just depend on the buyer. I think Disney got clearly too ambitious with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. They're like trying to pump out too many movies. I think that's not necessarily the way to go. You know, Bond fans, oh, I wish they'd go back to every other year. You know, at this point, if they did every third year but did it dependably, I'd settle for that. <laughs> at least right. there'd be, you know, some certainty as opposed to what we have now. Because so like with Star Wars, you had Rogue One, which was a movie in between the series. And that turned out okay. Although, as we found out later, that was kind of a hectic production. It turned out okay. Solo, a Star Wars movie, didn't turn out so okay. Because they had like 80% of it shot. And then like fired the directors and did all this stuff. And in the end, the movie, I mean, I I saw it. It was like, okay, but. It was damaged goods going into the opening, wasn't it? Yeah. And and also it's like, okay, is this movie so compelling they needed to film it one and a half times? Uh, (laughs) I mean, Justice League League was the same thing. We're we're doing a remake and we haven't released the first version yet. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, and Justice League was the same thing. It's like the director's cut. Uh, Which director? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I saw I saw Justice League, and I thought it was okay. But like you know, it probably wasn't being worth filmed twice. And you know, they probably would have been better off sticking with the first one and just pushing out the door. Because this is the other thing: whenever you reshoot something that extensively or re-edit it that extensively. That, that sends off a, uh, a siren, a warning that, uh, like James said, it's damaged goods. I mean, the classic case, and this has a James Bond impact, was the movie Heaven's Gate. It's like Heaven's Gate, it premieres in New York, New York, Los Angeles, Toronto, to qualify for the Academy Awards. Everyone's got, oh, God, it was like incredibly long, and everyone's got, oh, my God. So then the director says, I'd like to re-edit it. And so it ran for like that one week in those three cities while the director then took it over and like re-edited it. And so they bring it out the following spring, I think. And then it's like, it's still a mess. And except now it's a worse mess because yeah. your your reputation's been damaged. And so the result was, and this is the impact on Bond, Transamerica was still the owner of, of UA at the time. They said, "Oh, forget it. This this movie business we're dealing with. We're gonna we're, we're gonna sell it." And and we've been more or less in that period in terms of James Bond fandom ever since. And for all the journalists writing about the Cats debacle, they forget the Heaven's Gate debacle, which was similar but different about re-releasing a film in theaters to fix problems. Yeah, yeah it's been done before. I'm going to say something a little bit controversial here and say, well, my fear is that the ownership of MGM who have been fragile, as you say, Bill, since Evans Gate onwards, right? Since how UA got to MGM yeah. and everything else. It's always been a knife edge. Um, it's like the friend that everybody knows that lives paid it paycheck to paycheck. I mean, that's pretty much right. It's sort of <laughs> yeah. like, and doesn't plan for the future. I fear they're going to try and pull, we just need to get one out, cast somebody, do it quick, Diamonds of Forever kite stunt of just getting a film out, which might damage things long term i think the best thing that could happen be would be everybody puts their tools down for a little bit gets the ownership sorted out because whoever 
I mean, if there is an ownership change, whether it's on the MGM or the Danjack side or both, they're going to want to do it in their own image. They're going to want to cast the lead. They're wanting to do their own stories. They're not going to pick up somebody's work in progress. You know, Marvel did a good thing where they kind of put this multi-year plan together and it was all planned out from the beginning. I think the best thing they could do would be to down tools for maybe even if it's a couple, three years, get a showrunner for want of a better phrase in who can plan out a four or five movie arc with continuity and all the rest of it get it all sketched out then go hire people and start making movies this idea of trying to do continuity film to film when you haven't thought past the end of your nose has not worked has not worked a few years ago on the blog i wrote I wrote a wish list and one of my wish list things was, and this presupposed Dan Jackie on staying as staying there, but that what they needed to do, the way I phrase it was find the next Kevin Feige, the guy who runs Marvel. It's like, you know, Kevin Feige's got a job. You're not going to be able to hire him, but you want somebody who's like kind of an up and coming guy who's got is bright and you leave him in charge of it day to day. You know, he reports to Barbara and Michael and keeps him in the loop, obviously. He kind of does the lifting day to day and she can produce her plays and her independent movies and the development of Bond doesn't kind of falter. You know, it stays on an even keel. Uh, That doesn't guarantee movies like on every other year schedule or anything, but it it just keeps things going i guess i don't know i'm gonna go out on a limb and say uh bond films harder to make than marvel films i mean like they try to do a lot more in camera than marvel does yeah you can't shoot bond films back to back and i don't care what anybody says it's never going to happen just not going to happen marvel's kind of concluded uh, i saw this quote from feige said we are never doing this again we are never doing this again because they basically filmed for like nine to ten months straight. I think they had like a week off in between the two. Yeah, but that was mostly also sound stages and green screens, which is a hell of a lot easier than managing real locations and expensive practical stunts and stuff, you know. But they also do some location filming, and they do. I mean, I, I'm not disputing what you say, but I mean, people, you know, it's it's totally all green screen. I mean, they do some locations to supplement the green screen stuff it's some bond fans think that shooting the marvel films oh that's easy it's all green screen it's like well first of all it's you know planning it all out that that's the 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 difficult thing you know, to begin don't with. get me wrong i didn't mean that <laughs> in that respect i was meaning purely like once you get on the ground boots on the ground no, i know there's 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 definitely more practical stuff in a bond film cgi has been creeping into bond stuff for a while like you know putting daniel craig's face on a stuntman for example in skyfall no it's not the same thing I would I would definitely agree with that. But I do think that because it seems like with with the Bond films, like, okay, it's over. We're done. We're done for a while, for a year, (laughs) 18 months, whatever. Mm. And uh, we're going to go do this play. We're going to do this. uh, We're going to do this uh, intimate drama that will be seen by dozens of people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Which is is fair enough when you're on three people. The, The main reason that Marvel can continue to do what Marvel does is it's not three people in an office, right? Eon is ostensibly a small company. And when one person wants to take a break because they've worked, you know, 60-hour weeks for the last 12 months, you know, that seems fair enough. Right. But that's why I said, you know, it'd be nice to have sort of like the day-to-day Bond person. Eon's been diversified. In fact, here's here's a thought. At the end of this month, we'll finally have uh, the rhythm section. Right. Eon's non-Bond thing. Like, how many Bond fans are talking about that right now? Not many. I, I completely forgot about it until I, I got told that David Arnold was doing the music 
arranging for it, and that was took him out of contention. That that hurts actually. Now you say <laughs> right. that. Now, now you mean I can't have I can't have David Arnold do a Bond film because he was busy doing the rhythm section. Uh, yeah, but the rhythm section should be done now because it's coming out on. Yeah, you know. I actually just you know it's funny because I literally just saw. I don't know. If it, was it a trailer? I, I like out of the corner of my eye. I saw it. Was it a trailer? I just saw it's had one. And trailer. I literally kind of went, yeah, I, I, I saw a trailer and I went, why does that sound familiar? And then I went, oh, yeah, that's the that's the yeah movie. Duh. But yeah, I mean, it, it is so out of my peripheral vision, even that I kind of just it does look about a lot like Bourne, but with a woman protagonist. Um, how, how do you feel, uh, guys, about uh, the performance of that film? Because January is typically not your month to drop an action adventure movie. I mean, February, January, February is usually like the dumping ground, isn't it? Yeah. In the film business. That's changing somewhat in that, uh, the first Kingsman movie came out in February and, uh, the black Panther came out in, in February of 2018, although they were taking advantage of uh, black history month for that. But I mean, black Panther was this huge success and Kingsman was, you know, popular to keep the, popular enough to keep the series going here for a while but january and february tends not to be the movies that you have your most confidence in. august is another month that's kind of it's it's like summer leftover <laughs> month like um, well i just looked it up its budget's 50 million which is quite a lot for, a, for that scale of film and it's it's been distributed by paramount so I mean, right. they've got to they've got to see two hundred million worldwide for it to break even. Well, it's the most commercial of their non-Bond films because the two other ones that I'm thinking of, one there was uh, Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, and that got a, some publicity because it was Barbara Broccoli's passion project. Been one do it for twenty years, and the other thing was this this movie called Nancy. I can't remember now, but it was like blink and you miss it. And it was like, you, you hear about movies opening up to 3000 screens and it was like maybe in a hundred screens in the U S something like that. So like Nancy makes film stars, uh, don't die in Liverpool, like a big mass hit by comparison. So anyway, my point being, so the rhythm section is certainly more commercial than either of those two, but like no one's talking about it. Part of it, you know, you, it, it's, it's been a little snake bit, you know, the star, injured her hand had to get surgery i think had to f stop filming for a few months and its release date has been like pushed back a few times as well because i think it was originally supposed to come out in like february of 2019 yeah. then it was like fall of 2019 now it's january 31st of 2020 be interesting to see how much paramount invests in the marketing campaign for that film well so far it's consisted of one trailer as best as i <laughs> as best as i know but To bring us a little bit back to the Bond world, are you excited or do you think people should be interested at all in any of the sort of the tie-ins that we will inevitably see around film time? I know that our friends at Factory Entertainment said, you know, replica props from No Time to Die coming soon. Can anybody think of anything else that they would like to see that would sort of tie them over in the next few months until the film comes out? We haven't really talked in any detail on the podcast before about collecting, which is something probably we probably should do because Lord knows the merchandise goes somewhere. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
Is there anything else that's you know adjacent to uh, adjacent to the to the film that we should be interested in? More to the point, what's going on with Literary Bond in 2020? I'll take that one. I think Literary Bond is doing what Eon did with Bond 25, which is sitting waiting patiently for their first choice to come around to do it. So um, Anthony Horowitz has said he wants to do a third one, but he's tied up with current projects. And I think IFP have been very coy about. Uh, they say they've got announcements to make, but I can tell you this. If they had, they would have made them when the trailer came out for No Time to Die, just to piggyback on the press, so they haven't got anything ready to say. I think it'll be Anthony Horowitz doing a third book announcement whenever they get the agreement in place. And, I mean, I think they announced the last one a year before the book came out because he hadn't even started writing it. Yeah. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised if on April 2nd we get I know, by the way, there'll be a new book out by Anthony Horowitz in 2021. That's That would be my prediction. I wouldn't bet against that. It'll be either that or they're going to announce the 225th printing of Live and Let Die. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it'll be more Amazon book covers. Yeah. Is there anything on your wish list, Joe, other than a uh, No Me Funko Pop? <laughs> I, I can't really think of anything, actually, honestly. I think, um, you know, I, I think my mind would probably be centered more around uh, once the film is out, the locations. And uh, will that evolve into some interesting travel opportunities to go see some of the uh, the filming locations? Other than that, then I'm just kind of waiting for the film. And and like you guys, I'm also very curious to see what happens with the franchise after it's done, because it it is a weird situation where you really don't have you know when when it was uh, Cubby and Harry, you had the kids who were kind of coming up in the ranks to to take it over and you really don't have that now yeah it'll, it'll be a curious time to see uh see what happens with that well maybe we'll get uh another lego aston martin maybe the 87 aston martin or the that would actually be great aston martin I'll, I'll take that. you know what i'm mm. looking forward to like the 27th variation of packaging on the corgi db5 because they refuse <laughs> to invest in new molds so it'd be the same car again but a different <laughs> box people and we saw those Adidas trainers, uh, runners with the 007 logo on this week. Which is yeah. the- I asked if you were excited about something, James. Oh, I'm, a- <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm holding out for another $5,000 back. I, <laughs> I think it was 6000 actually. But Plus tax. <laughs> Keep it twice the Plus price. Tax. <laughs> we're all going to be drinking more Heineken, obviously. Yeah. That's a, we, yes, that's, we haven't seen any... Uh, leaked stills of bond with beer for this film but we knew he shot the commercial right because there was that one still where he like he was walking somewhere and he was in a taxi he was walking somewhere and there was some production assistant or whatever like trying to wave off the camera vainly trying to block the paparazzi i put the question out on twitter last night to see hey apart from the film is anybody else looking forward to something in 2020 the most common response was i wish they'd announce a video game not necessarily no time to die video game but just something the video game franchise uh given the time we're at now although the gaming industry is even more secretive than the movie business we, we kind of probably would have found something out by now if something was cooking so i don't think so yeah, I mean, do we even have a company no, at this point? Not officially. No, we don't. Nothing, right? So, yeah, I think we would have known by now. At least, at least if somebody got their hands on Bond, you know, and said something someday will come out, but nothing was. And when was the last video game to come well, out? Was it depends what you call a video game. Not a mobile because, game. Because <laughs> if you count clicking through basically what amounts to a PowerPoint slide, which was um, with um, <laughs> I, I used to call James Bond World of 
stock art. Googled for menacing man on yeah. getting images. <laughs> or lady that looks like Judy Dench. Um, <laughs> that was the last one. That was 2012. But that was terrible. And it, we, we dug into the details of that deal for with MGM where they got uh, shares in the Glue mobile company in return for the license to do that game. So, you know, some, uh, somebody did all right out of it, but it wasn't people who played it. <laughs> yeah. But since then, it's been... Before that, wasn't it? Was, was yes. it Bloodstone that was yeah, the last? Which was half thing? decent. Yeah, it, it wasn't bad. Yeah, and actually, I thought the Quantum of Solace game was very good. Something I hadn't realized. I wonder. Now, this would be assuming that somebody was thinking long term. I wonder if the reason why we haven't seen a new gaming studio sign up to because these contracts are usually like five years, right? I I wonder if we haven't seen it because of the impending ownership debate of MGM and Eon. Uh, sorry, MGM and Danger because. If Apple were to come in or somebody like Amazon or Apple or whoever to come in and buy either half or all of it, video game rights potentially very lucrative and they'd want they'd want to control those and do their own thing. Well, well, also, I'm just thinking in general about the, I mean, technology, you know, keeps evolving so quickly. So like if you had a, you know, in 2020, a new James Bond video game, I would think that the tech would be. A lot more, you know, the movement will be a lot more fluid than the last time there was a real video game. Craig completely went off of the boil on the games. So, you know, in the beginning, he was doing his voice and likeness and all the rest of it and doing his motion capture and all the rest of it. And towards the end, zero. I mean, they got a guy to voice him and they, they created their own model without scanning him. And because the first couple, I remember he'd said in one interview, he'd do the games if they were any good, but the last few have been crap, to paraphrase. I think his involvement dialed way out of the games as well so without an active actor in the role after this film comes out i don't it's it's tougher to hang a game on without it's all right some... sean needs another million bucks yeah our ill-fated roger project obviously isn't going to happen now either so i just wonder if they're keeping the rights the powder dry as part of the package deal if there is something cooking it's a shame they can't go after it and as just a James Bond video game. There, I don't remember which one was which. Maybe it was Agent Under Fire was right before yes, they started using Brian's image. Yeah, and it was a more just sort of a generic James Bond. Like they, like it was almost like, like almost like they cast their own guy who oddly looked a lot like That's Arthur. Right. <laughs> and um, respect, you know? yes. <laughs> uh, So I and I kind of felt like. It's almost. It almost feels like now they're just doing movie tie-ins and and just sort of aping off of whatever's going on in the films. Yeah, boy, they. I mean, they're kind of missing an opportunity. I like like you talked about the ill-fated Roger Moore. Boy, was that a missed opportunity. I wish they had done oh, something so there. So the paid. Uh, right there, you go. The other thing you could say is like you know the comic books, the new and the alternate comic books are sort of like they're not far removed from the plot of the video game. They're ripe for like aping if you wanted, if you needed inspiration, you didn't want to hire your own creatives at EA or Activision or whatever. Go talk to Dynamite. I, I think the thing they could do, Joe, like you mentioned, is to stay away from the times. They could just like retro games are really hugely popular right now, especially like the eight bit look mm. and all the rest of it, especially for like Nintendo Switch. They could just go and make games on the old movies with pixel characters and do something like Zelda style to do something completely different, but uh, they won't. It'd be so easy to do that too. Cause you know, I was listening to the, um, I don't know if you guys heard, but uh, the audio uh, road to oblivion that Lazenby had done recently. And it was, I thought it was really interesting because it was sort of like a refresher course on 
spycraft. You know, they, they really kind of got into the nitty gritty of like what a spy does and how a spy would get information, how he would infiltrate himself, etc. And I kind of, you know, as I was listening to that, I'm thinking like, like that really is what the game should be about. So to try to just do a generic movie tie in for an action film is sort of missing the mark. So there really is a lot that they could be doing in these games that they just don't take advantage of. Well, and that would also differentiate the Bond video games from the superhero video games, from the right, from the uh, the warmonger uh, video games. I, I, for lack of a better term, you know, guys <laughs> with big machine yep. guns who mow down a lot of things. The tradecraft, yeah, yeah, that that's a dimension that those games don't have. There was an old classic game um, of a certain generation where we called Spy versus Spy, which was based on the cartoons, which was hugely popular back in the right. 80s. Anything like that would be a breath of fresh air. They could do something really clever with it. But um, unfortunately, money talks. And if a studio is coming and saying, yeah, we'll motion capture some actors and we'll make a movie into a video game, that's eh, check. And that, that wins the argument every time. But yeah, I blame EA for putting Pierce Brosnan's face in Nightfire at the last minute. It was not planned. And I think ever since then, it's been one-way traffic on the games. But we did have the Bond cars in Forza Four Horizon. Well, that was about it. I don't know if that counts as a Bond game. You know, yeah, you know what? I, I feel like I remember that was coming out, and then somehow it just sort of vanished out of my peripheral vision, and I never actually saw that or bought it or yeah. whatever. Well, and, and I and I wasn't kidding about another Lego car and another Lego Aston Martin because I mean I didn't get it, but I gather it kind of went over pretty well. Oh yeah. Uh, it was great. Calvin, Calvin Dyson, our uh, colleague, was talking about doing a video of him putting his together. And I, I replied, you know, why don't you do a live stream? Because he wanted to, like, put his, put his audience through every twist. The <laughs> I think <together>. to, <laughs> a time lapse would be kinder, I think. Than <laughs> but I remember when that, that DB5 uh, Lego came out, somebody did do a live. They did do a live stream somehow of, you know, I, I don't know how many hours it took to put that thing together. It was, it was, not, <laughs> it was not easy. But, uh, and like I said, the 87 Aston Martin would be uh I'd, I'd take the 87 over the db5 yeah well like i said since we got the db5 let's you know let's let's do another aston so or to evoke something james said we could or have a lego uh uh lotus but include the the blocks to put the car up on yeah, and the engine wrench down but- <laughs> <laughs> I thought you meant because it didn't have wheels. All right. I want to wrap this episode up with an idea I had just thought of, which is what is your what are your James Bond resolutions for 2020? How are you going to conduct yourself as a fan of the franchise, perhaps differently? Have you neglected the Fleming novels and you want to dip back into them? Are you going to try and visit more of the locations? That's something like that. Grab one of those from every one of you. It's always worth going back to the Fleming novels, and I and I would sort of add at least selective going through some of the continuation novels, some of the ones that are, you know, aren't very recent. I don't know if I particularly want to tackle all the John Gardner ones, but it's probably, I, I should probably like read one or two of his better ones. And uh, I also haven't done a uh, Raymond Benson one in a while. So that, that would probably be worth kind of checking out because Raymond's tenure was kind of, some people either they really liked him or they really didn't, didn't you know, at the time they came out, there didn't seem to be much middle ground. You know, I would think tempers have cooled and passions have cooled. So maybe it's time for a more leisurely look and reappraisal. Joe? I, you know, it's funny. I actually feel um, that especially the buildup to the film and Scott and I have been doing the, the very in-depth reviews of the films. 
Uh, so it'll be interesting once we pass April, how that will all sort of shift because we will have revisited all the films. And so I think I personally will try to get back out and kind of do more of the James Bond stuff, try to get, get away from my laptop and the editing software for a, for a minute, which has not been very kind to my waistline. So yeah, I, I, I got a lot of resolutions in, in that respect, try to get a little more active and do some parasurfing and some barefoot water skiing. There you go. You know, exactly. So yeah, it's, it'll, it'll be an interesting time sort of post April, you know, once, once, uh, once no time to die is in the rearview mirror. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of with you, Joe. I can't, I, I would love to say this is what I'm going to do uh, with spare time, but there isn't any until May. Right. Yeah. I'll get brickbats for this, but I, I'm actually looking forward to the, the quiet back half of the year when we're not just churning news and updates and releases from pictures and all the rest of it. It's just like the machine just takes a rest for a little bit and we get to do some of the more cool, long-term, unexplored corner stuff, which is interesting. Roll on May. It's funny when we're in this sort of period leading up to the film, how we are in such response mode. Yeah. Where anytime something happens, you know, we just have to oh my goodness, what's what's the new news and how do we feel about this? And we have to do blog posts and videos, et cetera, talking about the new stuff. So I, it will be actually, it's almost like we'll be able to sort of call right. the shots again and decide what we want to look at and yeah. talk about. And have a break. That too, big time. <laughs> Paul, as you, as you pose the question... <laughs> <laughs> I usually get out of having to answer them that way. I think actually it is the Fleming stuff because you guys have been making references where I like vaguely, vaguely remember reading that 10 years ago, but I need to dip back in and see what they're like. The audiobooks are great and I do a lot of walking and audiobook listening, so I'll do a bit more of that. All right, well, thanks for joining me on this uh, dip into what we can expect for 2020, 2020. Yeah, it's going to be a, a frantic few months in James Bond land, but we'll uh, we'll see you yes. on the other side of it. Yes, it's also the time when everybody has those people in their lives that pop up saying they're huge James Bond films, just fans because there's a film out, and then they never hear them talk about it again for another three years. <laughs> so we've got that to look forward to in April. And some beers and some good times. Yes. All right, thanks for joining me, guys. And we'll speak to you soon. Take care. Take care, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Let me tell you when to leave. Wrap around me like the ocean Then I wake up cause I just can't breathe Too many demons to overcome Now here I am when Mother Nature holds her breath I tell my 